This, this, this is a Tape Deck Podcast. Hey everybody, it's H, and welcome to the 96th episode of Dune Pod, your one-stop shop to enjoy the new Dune movies. This week, I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Jason. Oh my god, the mathematicians who f- like, what is going on with this? Like, Hollywood is just got a wild concept of what's going on in the professional math world. And by the chief technology officer of the DNC, Nell Thomas. Are one of these guys really good with balloons? I don't know. We cover Jason's favorite San Francisco startup movie, starring Sidney Poitier, River Phoenix, and Robert Redford, Sneakers. If you're enjoying the show, we need your help. Leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts, and be sure to hit that follow or subscribe button so you never miss an episode. We also have a Discord server where you can hang out with us whenever you want. A link is in the show notes, so join us. And now... Without further ado, sneakers. I mean, someday we should have an actual live studio audience, like in a room together, right? Oh yeah, I don't on know. stage. What would that? Well, I don't like? leave the house, so I mean, they can come <laughs> to me, I guess. Do you have a space for it where we can uh, get like 44, 50 people? Yeah, for sure. We got. We can. We can figure that out. We can just pitch a tent in the middle. We're like close to Golden Gate Park. I think you can just go to like Hippie Hill. Let's we'll do it there. It'll be great. Yeah. Now, have you had any podcasts recorded at your house? I haven't, but I am very supportive of a Dune Pod tour. Oh, yes. If you come to New York, I will be in the front row cheering. <laughs> oh my gosh! You can. You can sell merch. We're, we're going to sell at least one seat. <laughs> It'll be me. <laughs> we got one ticket sold. <laughs> Yeah, I'd like to do it like in Brooklyn, you know, cruise through there, you know, maybe get some little, maybe hit DC, some of Jason's old haunts. Oh, that'd yeah, be great. Yeah, absolutely. Midwest, get to Minnesota. We got a big contingent, uh, you know, it's Texas. Austin is really where we need to go. Mm. That's mm. our that's our key spot. Um, anything, Jason, you want to call out on uh, the ongoing Twitter wars happening right now? Oh, my In, God. Any, any new appearances coming up? I This was a good one. Uh, so this morning, just to catch people up on the Twitter drama, uh, which is like my besides Dune Pod, my other hobby is following the Elon Acquires Twitter bullshit saga. Uh, and this morning he was at um, we need a sounder for this as well, because I feel it's going to be going on for a while. He was at the Elon's uh, bullshit. Yeah, he was at this tech conference <laughs> in Miami, which is hosted by uh, Jason Calcanis and Chamath and those oh, weirdos boy. and uh, the All In podcast. That's yeah. what we need. My the, incidentally, boss. speaking of like the yeah. live tour, their podcast sold sold out for seventy five hundred dollars a seat. How much do you think? Do you think we can charge seventy five hundred dollars a seat for when <laughs> we're for when working our we're working our way up? We're, we're, we we're could sell. There. We need a workshop. That what way. if we just sold one ticket for seventy five hundred dollars? I think we could get okay. someone to buy it. Anyway, Elon's renegotiating the price live on stage, tweeting poop emojis at the CEO over this bots thing. A detail I missed until uh, old Twitter friend texted it to me was that he also said on stage i don't understand why we have why there's all these unauthenticated users on the platform why don't they just call people to verify who they are and i that is my favorite detail yet in this whole thing because i just love the idea of some support person at twitter like ringing up 
someone and million? being like, excuse me, this is Twitter. Uh, we're looking for <laughs> Mr. or Mrs. Big Butt 420. Uh, are you uh, are you at home? And I I just love I just love every suggestion that comes from the fucking, you know, the, this genius of our time, the Carnegie of our time. Uh, he's a brilliant man and we should all listen to him. Now get, get in here. I mean, it does seem like he is, he's at, it's like watching someone grapple with the problems of, you know, trust and safety on social networks in yeah. real time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, it's both like fascinating and deeply sad. No, it's like, <laughs> when, state of our world. it's when they like train, it's like when they train like an AI to like walk and at first it just like, you know, doesn't know like how to, f it just flails its limbs around and like, you know, kind of like flops over itself and uh, towards like the obstacles. But then eventually it learns it can like prop itself up with its nose or whatever. That's Elon learning social platform yeah. governance. Or or like every um, like first product meeting in a tech company where an engineer is just like, well, why don't you just fix it this way? Right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's, what a great like, idea. It's, that it's had great. never occurred oh, to no me. No one's ever thought of that before. That's great. We shouldn't have spam? Whoa. <laughs> wow. I do think Facebook was verifying people, not by phone, but by mail for a, a while. Mm. Um, for oh. um, So, you know, there are some old school offline methods for verification. We wrote a product requirements document in 2009 about how to verify Twitter users. It was like a product we were going to build and it was like going to use credit cards. It wasn't going to use phones. I mean, there's definitely ways to do it. The idea that that's like a fundamental problem that Twitter needs to tackle as opposed <laughs> to literally anything else is a bit crazy, but you know, he'll figure it out. The idea of saying voluntary authorization or, or uh, authentication and verification of users is not a bad idea. Um, and even having different levels of service based on that, but a product that is used in authoritarian countries by dissidents right. who are trying right. to exercise freedom of speech are not available for being authenticated. And he is a child for, for thinking that they are. Well, fortunately, he's taking more money from the repressive regimes in this deal, including uh, including Saudi Arabia. And so right. he's he could just shortcut the whole repression uh, timeline by, you know, just like working <laughs> directly with the people with from whom he's taking money. Um, but so I, it's going I great. love the irony that, that he is like you know, the champion of free speech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And here he is. <laughs> right. Just like uh, it is just what sovereign wealth funds can I talk to next? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I appreciate your coverage on Twitter, though. I think that it's oh, uh, it's nice to follow along someone who is uh, kind of in in real time dissecting this clown show that is apparently going to control our potential future of social media. It's okay. I'm just saying, like, I'm just saying, could we get a Sting codpiece meme injected into some of these tweets? We do need more Dune. We do need more Dune in this coverage. You're, you're right to point that out. I actually had a note for the Bloomberg appearance to try to get in a plans within plans joke, and it just oh, nice. didn't work out. Um, so I'll try harder. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on it. When the Timothy statue arrives, you can just have yes, that just on, have that on your desk. Good note. Good note. Yeah. All right, let me write that down. <laughs> well, we are so thrilled to have you now, Chief Technology Officer of the DNC. Yes. You have some yes. experience with disinformation, battling that, <laughs> yes. and rallying people for the forces of democracy. So, you know, we're, we're just so thankful to have you. I'm thrilled to be here and part of such a fun and vibrant community. It's really exciting. And I'm a fan of the pod. So. Oh, that's oh, yay. great. Uh, yeah, this is really exciting for me. Awesome. One of our rare guests who has listened to the pod. <laughs> <That's great>. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> well, actually, going back to the parenthood thing, having an 18-month-old means I spend a lot of time listening to podcasts yeah. to escape the tedium of, you know, playing with blocks slash walking yeah. around the neighborhood. Um, and so movie movie podcasts are my favorite thing to consume. And I'm a big fan of Matt. I love Dune. It's just like this stars aligned. I'm I, I love the show. Yeah, well, I have been so fortunate to work with Nell over the last two years, um, supporting her and the technology team um, in the work that they are doing to safeguard our democracy, and it really has been incredible. Um, applying a real uh, you know West Coast technology uh, approach. Um, and best of breed, cloud-based, just er everything, just really bringing out a, a great sensibility and continuing to grow the team um, over the last couple of years. So it's just been very impressive to watch happening. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's been really um, it's been really awesome for me to have the opportunity to lead um, a fantastic team of technologists um, that are so mission driven. Um, you know, I've worked in tech industry before, and I. I know how compelling it is to work inside kind of big tech, but um, there's really nothing better than taking all those skills and putting them towards a mission and a cause that you care about. And certainly, you know, getting Democrats into office and fighting for progressive values is near and dear to my heart. And it's really, really rewarding being able to just work alongside folks that feel the same way and mm. build best in class tools in tech for campaigns and yeah, lead a fantastic group. There's there's been amazing technologists too as well through the DNC over the last like sort of four four years like some some really great folks who've worked um, for all kinds of world class companies and built really interesting tech have come uh, and worked in the DC and so like congrats to you on your leadership there thank attracting you. that talent actually, actually thank you and fun um, movie crossover um, our new chief security officer who runs our security and IT team. Um, comes from the world of movie studios. And so he most recently oh, was at MGM right. before that, yeah. Uh -huh. um, not he, Sony, right? No, not Sony. Because <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't work there. Not Sony. <laughs> Though, like, here's the interesting parallel is that, uh, well, you would think, like, what is the relevance of someone who knows the Hollywood industry security to politics? It's actually, there's a lot uh -huh. of parallels there. There's, oh, yeah. You know, the Sony hack similar to the... Um, the DNC and Hillary hacks in 2016 kind of drew attention to the vulnerability of a lot of the systems, non-technical yep. space with lots of stakeholders. Um, and so there's a lot of like cultural work that happens in cybersecurity and security to make sure that right. um, organizations are really being, breaking security part of the culture and part of the way every employee thinks about their work. Um, but you're doing so uh -huh. inside a group that maybe doesn't always think that way. So um, and we were really excited to have Steve on board. And also um, I get to ask him all of my uh, random yeah. industry movie industry questions. Yes. Yeah, give awesome. us the password to the scripts Dropbox. <laughs> I mean, Come I, on. Now. I believe the the like last secret he was protecting was the identity of the new James Bond, which uh, I feel like is a oh, cool okay. one. Oh, wow, oh, wow. Wait, do we know who that is? Is that not, does no, he, no, not yet. Oh, okay, he's protecting. I think he it. knows it. it. Okay. I don't know. He hasn't told me. Okay, but. great. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's waterboard Steve as part of this podcast <laughs> and see if we can get this answer out. That'd be great. <laughs> Well, it's amazing, uh, you know, that, that kind of connection here, right? Because tonight is all about security and all about, yes. uh, you know, hacking. And we are talking about tonight, Jason's favorite San Francisco startup movie <laughs> with Sidney Poitier, River Phoenix, uh, Dan Aykroyd, Robert uh, Redford and his hair, Sneakers. Yes. God, Sneakers. what a movie. Yeah. So a we're going to be getting into that. 
Yeah, oh, we're going to be getting into that just in the in the bottom of the hour. But before we do, how about if we get into some Dune news? Would you like to know more? Dune news, big week, a lot of Dune news. Yeah, it's uh, the big one. Get ready. This is the this is the big one. Christopher Walken is. Oh my God. Emperor Shaddam the Fourth. All right, so. I literally, I think MG tagged me in a tweet while I was on an airplane, and I almost did a spit take. Um, H on, almost pulled the, the emergency exit. I was like, we've got to land this plane. What the hell? So I was shocked, and I will say I begin this position extremely skeptical. Like More I than am, of, of More Austin? than Butler. Oh, yeah. Wow. Way, way, wow. way more. Way more. Wow. Um, Somebody's sharing the Christopher Walken as Emperor from what is it from the ping pong movie? Yeah, Balls of Fire, Fury. Balls of Fury, or whatever. Yeah. So, so my concern is that he's just so he is a cultural meme, a walking cultural meme. He's amazing on Severance. I yeah, love he's amazing. But I think Severance, like, not to sh- shortcut your whole thing, but we know where this is going. You just want to shit on Christopher Walken, and that's fine. But like, doesn't Severance belie no. your point? Like, does it like we love Severance? We loved him in Severance. He totally works in that movie. Doesn't that suggest that he can do other stuff besides more cowbell? I don't blame him for this. I I'm just saying that too many people have too many takes on him already. So I But answer answer the question. Doesn't Severance prove that Christopher Walken has gears that allow him to work in genre fiction? In a way that defies the memification of him. Yes, his work okay. in in Severance was definitely different and unique from anything that he's ever done before. And maybe maybe that will work. I just have a hard time seeing him as Shaddam and seeing what the take is. He must have some take. Let's turn it over to our guest. What do you what do you think now of this? The, no, I'm this really enjoying this. I also appreciate Jason having like really, really force Matt into the corner on that answer. Really I'm tired of people not answering my questions. <laughs> Too much of that this week. I, mean, <laughs> I, I I I hear I hear Matt's argument. You know, someone mm. who is such a walking meme, as you say, makes it difficult for someone just to lose themselves in the story. And, you know, losing yourself in, like, the world building of Dune is so important that you don't want an actor who's just going to, like, take you out of it. But I think right. you need to give credit to someone who's a... Is he a, a Oscar winning? I, I think he must have won an Oscar at some point. No. Okay, you're saying no. Anyway, I have no he's idea. A, he's a, you know, clearly a talented actor. He's good, that, though. You know, we have to give the believe in the vision. And I trust and believe in the vision that, like, he'll be able to do it. I love Christopher Walken just for the record. Like he is Doesn't sound like amazing. <laughs> no, I totally I love Christopher Walken. Uh you know somebody I think Kev called out Dead Zone like we should definitely do Dead Zone. I love that movie. Um uh the Bat and Spider guys just did Brainstorm, which is one of my favorite movies from the early 80s by Douglas Trumbull. Mm. Like I'm way into him, especially True Romance. I'd like to do that, although I'm very very worried about the like through the 2022 lens. But True Romance, definitely a standout performance in that interrogation scene with uh, with Dennis. Love it. Folks are asking, when are we going to have like, when are we going to start covering like the, you know, the body of work here? OK. Uh, OK. Within <laughs> the, the next 10 episodes. The Christopher Walken body of work? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. well, and Austin Butler. Oh, and, and Austin we Butler. have to go back to Pew. We have a bunch of new people who we should. We should honor. Can we give Christopher Walken a, a little like shout out for Annie Hall, which I feel like is a pretty, I don't yeah. know if you, you wow. know, yeah. performance is the brother in Annie Hall. Sometimes when I'm driving, 
on the road at night, I see two headlights coming toward me. Fast, I have this sudden impulse to turn the wheel quickly, head on into the oncoming car. I can anticipate the explosion, the sound of shattering glass, the flames rising out of the flowing gasoline. It's like a moment I think about often while driving. Not that I want to do that, wow. but other people might be thinking that, so. Okay. It's my, it's my favorite Christopher Walken moment. And Walken does have an Oscar for Deer Hunter. That's what I thought. Deer Hunter. There we go. See, now, trust. That's an intense, that's an intense That's an intense movie, movie yeah. All right. Well, so yes, uh, maybe we'll call up our dear friend Ian DeBorha and see if he would like to come on for Midsummer for Florence. For Pew. Um, and then we can work some more with, like, let's get our first Austin Butler out of the way. I guess we'll do Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. That sounds good. Time will tell. All right, we shall we shall see. Any other Dune news you have, Jason? I mean, that just sort of that just sort of crowded out any other discourse. (laughs) The memes have been great. Let us just briefly welcome some new friends to the Discord. In addition to Nell, who joined us this week, um, thank you for joining us. We also had excited. Yeah, well, stick around. It's going to be a lot of fun. Bell Mix, eight ninety six, J Pearl. What what is this? This is some. This is like a knitting reference of some kind. Jason, help, I, I help me know, out. Man. I, Pearl is, is P- a knitting P-U-R-L? thing. P U R L. It's also P-U-R-L. a programming language. Could be either or both. Not spelled like Pearl the language, though. All right. Now is it a move? Is is purling? That's like a, purling is yeah. It's it's a it's one of the two. Like there's knitting and there's purling. And they're both. I know I worked at Etsy, so I have like a. I have to know things about knitting because of that. And right. I believe knitting and purling are two of the stitches, what they call them. Yeah. Hex, so. Hex says knit one, purl two. I don't know what that means, but. That's uh, like a stitch. That's a stitch thing. That's like a, yeah. how you make a scarf or whatever. Okay. Yep. Very it's good. like an instruction. It's kind of like the code of knitting, yeah. if you will. Exactly. Rib stitch is the pattern they're saying. That's, I, I don't that's know. what like, Etsy was written well in. in the apocalypse. <laughs> no. Oh, that's a good joke. <laughs> All right. So we also have Psych Daddy. And Lumberjack Nick, who comes over from the Paper Keg uh, Discord. So mm. great to have all you folks joining us. Mm. Anybody anybody in the chat today demanding a shout out who didn't get it? Well, now that you've said it, probably. But like, <laughs> you know, come on. All right, let's keep moving. Nell, do you have or what is your history with Dune? Yeah, so I read the book. Um probably, I don't know, five or six years ago for the first time. I'm a, I would say I'm like a pretty like casual to medium uh, sci-fi book and cinema fan, but I hadn't made it to Dune until relatively recently um, and loved the book, but I only read the one book. So I kind of loved the book, stopped there. I had some advice that like, it kind of just gets a lot it's more a great, intense from It's there. a great so, idea. So it's just like, fine. I'm going to stick with that. Um, and then, I mean, the movie was insanely good i mean i i it's hard for me to say anything that you all haven't said before but i just it's there's so many so many ways it could have gone wrong and um it's really hard to nitpick at it like i mean i i you know matt you and i talked a while ago and i i have i have uh-huh. my thoughts on like lady jessica and that type of thing but overall uh-huh. it is just like such a beautiful movie and uh i can't wait for part two mm. Mm. we agree yeah. We agree. I I can't wait. It's it's now been. We watched it back in March. Um, Jason and I separately for the first time in like six months. It's now been a couple of months since then. So I don't. know, I'm getting starting to get the itch again. To, You're feeling to it, it out. The Jones. Mm. Dune still good. You heard still it. Still good. good. <laughs> All right. Well, shall we get into this? 
Let's do it. Oh my God. I'm ready. All right, here we go. Sneakers is the hidden struggle to unlock information and control the world. Martin Bishop was a young hacker who went into hiding in 1969. 20 years later, he's assembled a crack team of security experts, conspiracy theory enthusiast mother, ex-CIA operations specialist Kreese, young hacker Carl, and the blind communications savant Whistler. When the team is tricked into stealing and handing over a powerful cryptographic machine that will change the balance of power forever, they are forced to scramble to steal it back. With everything riding on the line, can they accomplish the impossible and prevent Pandora's box from falling into the wrong hands? If they can, they'll secure their place at the top of the pantheon of sneakers. Oh, the top of the pantheon of sneakers. <laughs> wow. That uh, makes me think about like some giant, like, you know, stack of Nikes or something like that. But I love it. I love mm. it. It's beautiful. They, beautiful they imagery. Did, they did use the term sneakers and sneaks um, in the in the script. Um, so I guess okay. that's the deal, right? Like, was that like some kind of hacker slang? I've never heard that lingo outside <laughs> of this movie. But uh, I mean... I wasn't. I wasn't really following in '92. I have. I. I have read and heard that sneakers was a term for hackers, a slang term. Okay. For. And I do believe. I actually noticed it when I was rewatching that they do say at the very end. We just executed the greatest sneak of all time, and we can't tell yes. anyone about oh, it. Yeah, I think that was the it. only mention that I like heard of. Yeah. Right. In the in the script. It's like one of those like OG terms like freaking that like yeah. I'm sure had some like particular provenance, but like stop making any sense or whatever. I think we uh we'll just have to call Beto and uh and get his take on it, right? He was he was in the cult of the dead cow. Oh yeah, the cult of the dead cow. Right back in the skateboarding. When day. is oh, he yeah. coming on the pod? What's your it's next a, get? It's a great question. Now we can say we've had you now. That's like <laughs> Sorry, I'm the gateway into politics. A stepping stone. (laughs) (laughs) You have a real job, at least now. Like you know, it's like like, (laughs) yeah, keeping it real, keeping it real. So, so now, what is your history with sneakers? You immediately got excited um, when I I put this in the list and said choose choose a movie. Um, This was one that popped out. Yeah. So I I don't remember the first time I saw this. It was definitely came out when I was in like middle school and I don't uh, think I, I definitely don't think I saw it in theaters it was a home movie that we believe we owned on VHS I have a very like distinct memory of the cover of and therefore like re-watched a bunch because we only owned you know 10 or 12 VHS F's and and watched them ad nauseum um and it's like and I also was at an age when I was you know kind of in a family setting and I feel like it's actually like a very family friendly movie all things considered there's very little violence it's like kind of a has some feel good aspects of it. Um, and so, yeah, had a, had a lot of like time with it in, in my early years. Um, oh. and then I've revisited it occasionally since because it's just like a good time. It's like funny and, uh, exciting and has all these great, like real themes of social engineering and distrust of government and secret identities and, um, activism and hacktivism. So it's, I think it holds up. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And uh I, I did read that uh the the director, uh Phil Alden Robinson, uh, who also co-wrote it, he like threw in a bunch of the cursing in the movie because he was worried it was gonna be rated G. 
uh, and he did not want that to happen. Uh, so, <laughs> he was avoiding so they, the family-friendly setting that I was just talking exactly, about. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So they were able to kind of like skirt a little bit. And Jason, obviously this one was a, a big resonator for you. Yeah, I've just always loved this movie. I, I don't even know if I saw it in the theater or shortly thereafter, but I've seen it like just a bunch of times. It's like one that like anytime I'll, I'll watch it for no reason. It's kind of in like a category of like rounders for me where mm. it's like a comfort movie where I'm I'm just like, this is like well written and like I can just like, you know, I know every line in the movie. I know every beat in the movie. It flows really well. Uh, hmm. And like, I'm happy to like just sort of dip in and watch it anytime I can. Uh, it's a it's a real it's a gem of a movie for sure. Nice. Nice. So this was written and directed by Phil Alden Robinson. He wrote Fletch, the screenplay uh, for that film. And then he directed this and Field of Dreams and also did the Band of Brothers pilot, mm. um, which I'm very much looking forward to uh, to watch to rewatching that series. I just started listening to the Dead Eyes podcast. Have you heard about this? Mm-mm. This is, what a, is it? It's a UCB comedy guy who was cast uh, 20 years ago on Band of Brothers and then was fired by Tom Hanks for having, quote unquote, dead eyes. And it's him <laughs> trying to find out 20 years later what that meant. Why did Tom? Uh, why did Tom? Hanks? Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I heard about this. Yeah, it's it. I listened to the pilot. It was great. Uh, and the second episode is John Hamm and he got a ton of people. And, and yeah, uh, it's supposed to be incredible. So anyways, Band of Brothers pilot, maybe. Can we do that on the show? I don't know. I don't know. We can do anything we want. This was also written by Lawrence Lasker and Walter Parks, who wrote War Games. Oh, my God. No wonder. What a bless. Those yeah. guys were just absolutely just touched by the gods. Yeah. Were there other seminal works of hacker movies or was it just those days? No. Pre-internet hacking? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. War Games is so good. <laughs> yeah. It's like these two and, and like the net. Is like maybe like the other one that's like, you know, dude, I'm, like, I'm dying to do the net. Oh my God. I'm net dying to do the net. The yeah, net is, we got to I mean, do I, the net. I was going to say, I love sneakers. I mean, the net is like near and dear to my heart because really? I mean, Sandy. I, oh God, Sandy, you know, it's so good. Oh. I feel I could do an entire podcast on the UX design of the pizza ordering webpage from the net. Because this is not was, the first time you've talked about that. Was, it's, I, mean, I, love, how, I think about cool it all the time. I think about it all the time. <laughs> or, how, or how about how the whole the whole concept was that there was just a pie sign in the corner of the webpage that was the secret <laughs> portal. <laughs> it's amazing. It's so amazing. All right, we're doing it. Oh my all god, right. it's directed by Erwin Winkler. Uh, well, there you go. Yeah. So there you go. You were Star it's, Wars in, it's in the family. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, obviously we should do probably like a double feature and do the net and the next week do hackers. Let's say then hackers came out the same year, I think, too. I mean, 97, maybe. Right. Oh, OK, maybe not then. They're all like mid 90s. Close. Oh, yeah. it was 95. You're right. You're right. Oh, my so, God. But sneakers was first, you know, so. Mm hmm. Well, we'll see. We'll uh, we'll we'll have to keep this this hacking thing this hacking thing rolling. Um, well, wh- you ready? To, let's just get into this. Let's get um, into it, please, so, God. So first of all, um, Jason, come on. Yes, James Horner. I know. Back. How excited were you? <laughs> Did well, you know I, that? I had no idea, and so wow. I, you fire it up, and it does not. Half of the movie or two thirds of the movie does not sound like him at all because you have. Branford Marsalis. Horner's on, horns. On the alto sax, right? Yeah. So this is him hot off Sting's Dream of the Blue Turtles and Bring on the Night. <laughs> His Dream of the Blue Turtles, a real album. 
<laughs> Jason, please come on. What are you, what are you doing? Dream of the Blue Turtles is. Amazing. I'm also not familiar with that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Dream of the Blue Turtles is available by the eighth ounce at the shop down the street. I think that's. Uh, I th- I think you could get that. Uh, I cannot believe what is happening. Are you Gen X or like that was Sting's first solo album? Okay. I don't really okay. know if that's. In the, I don't really know if that's in the same like, you know, sort of genre of Gen X touchstones, like you know the Pixies or something. <laughs> no, this was in the '85 or something. Like this okay. was. This, this is like a, elder Gen X stuff. Yeah, exactly. Elder statesman right. Gen X, which yeah. I guess I am. But right. uh, yeah, so Sting leaves the police and he decides to basically do a pop jazz album. And he gets Branford Marsalis and a bunch of other amazing jazz cats to, to play. Uh, so anyways, this has a real 90s. It took me straight back to Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross soundtrack, right? It right. was like a very yes, similar. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a great soundtrack. Love, love. This might be my favorite Horner. I feel like mm. it's, it's pretty minimalist. Like I, I feel like yeah. it doesn't. Really, you know, I, I like how subtle it is throughout the the movie, and it does a great job of building suspense and having those key moments without being one of the like in your face soundtracks you sometimes hear. Yeah, mm. yeah, I, I agree. Uh, there, it, and it it operates on a couple of different levels. It does have a few scenes where it's literally the exact aliens sound and the strings, like yeah, and. Uh, but then there's a lot that's kind of like jazzy or, or kind of uh, hanging around. But so we we start off in 1969. And do you know what the facade of this building is, Jason, of the college where they're pulling off this hack? No, I don't know. What is it's it? The, it's the clock tower from Back to the Future from Hill Valley. Oh, yes. It's the back lot. It's the back lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I read that in some I read that in some article. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we have this establishment of Martin and his buddy Kaz uh cosmo and we have some sleight of hand uh magic of tossing the coin of who's going to go get the pizza in the freezing cold and he he loses he goes and cosmo gets arrested how good is the young robert redford looky loo perfect right very convincing very convincing did he have Nell for you? Did he have the same magnetism kind of coming through? <laughs> Nell for you. Did he have the same? <laughs> I mean, listen, no one in the movie has as much magnetism as River Phoenix because again, I was I yeah. watched Ooh, this when I was like yeah. 10. So I was gonna say I was yeah. I was a little young for Redford. I mean, now watching him, like I get it. I mean, the the charm uh-huh. and the, the facial expressions are really there, the hair. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean he's, he's he's good at doing this like the slightly dopier version of uh of Redford as a young college student. <laughs> Right, right. He was charming. I, I have to say, and we'll talk about the cast, and I, I think I assume a lot. Mm-hmm. I love Robert Redford. I think the rest of this cast kind of blows him away. And like, I, I think mm. he's, I, I don't, he's not the weakest, but he's definitely not the strongest. He's not in the top three for me, um, of how, just based on how incredibly good this cast is. Uh, and everyone's sort of playing, playing their, their specific spot. Um, young Robert Redford, though, maybe he could have carried the whole movie. That's what they used to do. Instead of instead of like the Irishman, they used to just find someone who kind of looked like the guy and put a wig on him. And that was good enough. God damn it. You didn't have to like do all this stuff. Uh, I think that's fine. Like, I, I really yeah. do think that is not a bad idea to cast yeah. somebody else. Like, that's smarter um, in terms of performance. Yeah, like, I'm getting I am getting absolutely torched in the in the comments though like people are like he's not believable at all you're fooled by the mustache it's the mustache just low was lighting. strong yeah all right maybe not rant retracted 
let's get into this cast and, and let's okay. talk about it. Cause we jumped 20 years forward. And so he is now his, Martin Brace was his name. He's been on the run. He is now Martin Bishop. Um, that is a shout out to the film, the classic Robert Redford film, three days of the condor, mm, um, where right. it had the list of the people who were killed. And the last two people on the list were Martin and Bishop. Um, so that's where that name. Incidentally, comes from. one thing that always irks me is when people take aliases that are like, basically the same name that they're trying to hide from. Right. Like, I just don't like, like Marty. Even, if it, even if it's just, first of all, you didn't even change his first name. His second name starts <laughs> with the same letter. Like you definitely just don't choose the same initials as the name that you're trying me, to yeah. run from. That's just free advice for this podcast. <laughs> Next time I go on the listen. run, I will call yeah. you up and ask for more advice. It seems like a good yeah. idea. We'll, we'll um, workshop your fake name. On the on the name piece, um, so another Redford movie I'm a big fan of is Spy Game, and yeah. in that mm. movie, Brad Pitt's character I believe is also Bishop, mm. and like I have no idea whether or not those two things are connected, but I couldn't help but think like is is the is the Bishop name in Spy Game a reference to the Bishop name in Sneakers? Mm. Oh, it's got Maybe be. you can find out on the internet. Yeah. yeah. Um, Events Channel, help us. Um, <laughs> I don't. You don't have to listen to him. Events change. I I, so I I don't I, I don't know if I've ever actually seen that movie. I think Jason, you referred to it before, but I don't I don't remember it. I I think I've seen it, but it's not one I'm like I can't. I don't know. I don't know it super well. Oh, it's. I mean, I don't. know. It's not like it's no gem of sneakers, but it's a fun yeah. like espionage, you know, spy craft, and it's it's Pitt and Robert Redford just like in beautiful locations in Europe. So I like the idea of putting those two together. Like to me, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. So. Nice. Well, so let's let's get into this cast. So beyond him, we start with Mother, played by Aykroyd. Oh, yeah. This is not really a performance, though. This is just Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> this is like Dan Aykroyd was just around. And they're like, you know, what's like some what's some stuff a crazy conspiracy theorist would say? And he's like, well, it's not crazy, but and he just like goes right into it. None right. of that stuff was in the script. That's just 100 percent Aykroyd off, off the dome. Off the dome. Yeah. Nice. I love that they give this character um, the conspiracy theory, uh, like persona of the hacker of just like pure everything is a is a conspiracy and or cannot trust the government, which I feel like was it was important to represent that kind of trope of hacker. I mean, uh-huh. does, does it perfectly. It's like the, the perfect. This person is like both uh, smart and also slightly annoying and also endearing in his annoyingness. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and specifically pairing him constantly with Poitier as Crease, you know, the kind of the, the businessman CIA guy who he's like the basically like the parent uh, keeping everything, uh, keeping everything straight. But I, I liked his performance, too. I thought he had a lot of nice comedic moments and, and just a great presence. Those are two. So uh, Rusty, Rusty Surfer MC just posted Pitt and Redford together. Those yeah. are two. Those are two handsome men. I mean, like, that, yes, that is doing that, that is a that is a, ha- that is a handsome diptych right there. <laughs> <laughs> a dyad. Um, so it's cue up spy game for this weekend. Enjoy yeah. basking the, bask <laughs> the beauty a good of good advertisement. Oh my gosh, nice. Um, so all right, so Crease, any bite? Any bites on that? Crease as uh, Poitier? Yeah, he's great. Love City Poitier. He's great. He's phenomenal <laughs> in this. Like he's, I, I think Poitier. Who else? Uh, Strathern. Yeah. Well, he's the champ. And Phoenix. Yeah. I think those. Strathern as Whistler is the the best character in the the movie. I think those three are all better than Redford is my power ranking. And of of like the of the the power ranking of sneakers of the people who sneak. I put I mean, as much as I love looking at River Phoenix, I I, I might put 
like Akira's as mother above in that ranking. But no. I, I agree with you on I agree with you on Crease. I just I don't know. I think Akira has a little bit more fun. He's all. fun, but like honestly, it doesn't seem like he's acting. It just seems like Dan Aykroyd <laughs> and Fe- and R- River Phoenix is so charismatic. Like I was, I really was like, I was like, oh, he would have been, he would have been one of those guys forever. Like he yeah. would have, he would just be Brad Pitt, like or Leo. Like he would just yeah. be one of those people who would always be working, always have interesting work to do, would do a ton of different stuff. Like he just was that guy. This is pretty much what he was like in real life. Oh, God, I forgot we have to cover the Matt Knows River Phoenix bullshit. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I think oh the, da- the dance move, the dance move with the flinging arms, I think was different. I don't think I ever saw that. Oh, one, my but, God. Uh, we God, walked, walked right, into, right into that one. Oh, yeah. my God. He's sprung Wait, a I don't trap. Know, I don't know this story. Do I, do well, no, I please, Matt. But please, please. When is this an inside joke? Is this a real nope, thing? Nope, this is real. When I was in Gainesville uh, back in the late 80s, I had a band called Henrietta's Lovers and River Phoenix was also living in Gainesville with his family. And he had a band called Alaka's Attic, which actually Dan Aykroyd was wearing an Alaka's Attic t-shirt in this movie at one point. So I got to know him just a little bit and was influenced by him in terms of his guitar setup and uh, and sound. Like I ended up incorporating some of that sound into what I was doing. And so- This and podcast also- is basically an homage <laughs> to River <laughs> Phoenix's guitar <laughs> tech. They sold you bad stress brainless now I understand the extensive notes on microphones I received <laughs> in advance of this podcast. <laughs> but I did, I'll, I'll drop in some Alaka's Attic here uh, from the album, because I did, since the last time we talked about River, I did track down the album uh, from... 1990 or whatever uh, that I put together called Gainesville Can't Dance. Um, and it has both, it opens with River's Band and I think I put a second uh, behind that so we can go back to that. So. Did you get it out of your system? Did you get? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's all right. What a what a humble brag. I'm I'm very impressed. Oh my impressed. god. There's nothing oh, humble yeah. about it though. It's just pure <laughs> brag. <laughs> it's got its own sounder. Yeah. There haven't been any H flexes in a long time. No, so. it's true. It's been a yeah. it's been a desert. You deserve it. You deserve I'm recycling. I'm recycling them. That's a bad. That's a yeah. bad sign. Well, and and just one last piece on River here. Apparently, he was still recovering from my own private Idaho, which was very yeah. emotionally taxing. Yeah. And so he said that he took this one because he wanted quote a low stress money gig. Um, yeah. That, that he could just do. And it's one of his last ones, right? I mean, this is pretty close to the end. Mm-hmm. I think he died in ninety, either late ninety two or ninety three. Um, so this was right, right towards the yeah. end. All right, here's my question about his character. If we're talking about this, Let's is do it, it believable that he is like this sort of lovelorn, like single, like kind of because he's so good looking? Like how? Yeah. Problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And charming. Oh yeah. You know, like I, yeah. I just, I mean, I would just say it's. I don't know. If it's totally plausible that he's the. Uh, you know. Well, you don't know. Some of us who are preternaturally charming and handsome <laughs> do still struggle. When oh, of we, course, uh, of course. When we attempt to go out and converse with the outside world. It's somewhat of a curse because you don't know if people are just reacting too strongly to your <laughs> inherent magnetism. 
and maybe you've uh, you just got to stay home. Maybe that's what happened to him. He the cross computers instead. He pulls off the adorable, but the adorable dork very well in this yeah. film. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And then we have uh, the last one. You called him out briefly, but we didn't talk about him. So Whistler, played by uh, David Stratham, a young David Stratham, who is it's not blonde. Stratham. We have to we have to pause the podcast because what? Jason Stratham is a person. Jason no, that's Statham. Statham. Is a, Statham. Right. This is straight. This is straight. It's Strathairn. There's a there's an air and an n in it. Strath. There's no m. What? The does name definitely doesn't end in an m. Is it is it Strathairn? Yeah, something like that. It's actually a pretty difficult name, but it ends in, it ends in an airn and not an M. Okay. Someone did put the correct pronunciation in, in the Discord. Yeah, heck chat. Us. It's so stress- I think your, your community's trying to, to you know, give, <laughs> they're, they're trying. give you they support. <laughs> they're trying to, they're always trying to help. Straight it's okay. just never quite enough. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I can't read and talk at the same time. Mm. That's hard. H is illiterate. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so we have the introduction to Whistler and he is reading Playboy in Braille. Mm-hmm. He Good reads joke. it for the article. Good gag. Sweet joke. Good gag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so we can catch them halfway through. They are in the midst of pulling off this great bank heist. And yeah. so I love how they have the trade craft, and we'll talk about it as we go through the movie, but trapping the phone lines, pre-planting a smoke bomb, doing the break-in to turn off the alarm, um, like all of that, uh, even kind of like complimenting the, the rent-a-cop so that he, he is less suspicious or whatever. Mm-hmm. Just really great. Yeah, and I also love it. It is all great, and then they also have um, Redford do the the fall over the um, right cat or whatever, which oh, also yeah. kind of early on gives the the nod that they're a little bit fumbling in a way that I think right. also kind of adds to the humor and also undercuts some of the ways in which some espionage movies make it all so tidy that it's like they're always doing everything perfectly, and there is this kind of like right. air of um, they're they are a ragtag group, which. Early on, they set the tone around mm. as well. Yeah, very effective. Just like in in like five seconds, they they introduce that little bit there. That's cool. I also like the fact that you're off balance, right? You think they're pulling a bank job, and it turns out they're actually doing a penetration test. Um, so they steal the money and then report. That's part of the report that they're doing out. I don't like that the bank woman that is cutting yeah, him gives a check. Some shit. Yeah, he says this is a living, and she says <laughs> not a very like, good not one. much one. I loved it. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I love that. I would love to be in a bank and like doing some kind of transaction, like pulling some money out to go play poker or whatever. And then just be like, oh, well, you, I don't know if you can afford this jackass. Like, that'd be great. <laughs> nice. I like I, I love that idea. Well, so, Jason, you had called in that this was, you know, the SF startup uh, movie. And so we go straight to yeah. a very accurate portrayal of a San Francisco yes. exposed brick startup office. So talk on it. Well, I mean, I was amazed because I actually haven't seen this movie in a while. And this actually looks stunningly like the medium office, like the obvious office that we rented Mm -hmm. in like 2012 or something like that. Like it really like that is what like the downtown loft San Francisco startup offices look like for sure. With the floating meeting room in the middle. The floating meeting room definitely happened. Yeah. Like we had one of those for sure at some place. Like I I love I love that part of it. Like the first office I ever worked at in downtown San Francisco, the blogger office in 2002 was a like a detective office. Like it's in the Chancery building, which is like on Market Street uh, near Montgomery. And Market and what? 
And it's okay. like, uh, it's like, uh, like the office was like a two room where like, there's like a, you know, it's literally like a Sam Spade office. Like there's a closet with a sink in it. And like, you know, like it was like, you know, with a faucet <laughs> glass window and like, you know, it was it and all the exposed brick stuff. And, uh, I thought it was very accurate. That's like one of the things that like, I love about this movie is that it does feel like a, and like they all, like the other part of it that being a great startup movie is like they don't really know what they're doing. Like they're sort of constantly being caught like flat footed by like the new things that come in. Like, you know, these, these guys from, you know, quote unquote, the NSA show up and they're just like, I don't know what the hell we're supposed to do with these guys. And like, they just really don't have, you know, there's a lot of weird interpersonal dynamics and like, you know, I I love it. Loved it. Well, let me back up. Just let me just back up for one second. So now what was your first, uh, your first startup office in, uh, you know, in, in the Bay area or, or elsewhere? Yeah, well, I've, I've mostly been in the New York tech uh, scene, if I can call it that. Well, the Etsy um, office is ridiculous. I mean, the... the Yeah, and it, well, I was in the original Etsy office, which was uh, less built out than it is now and, right. and much like hum- more humble and scrappy. Um, it was fantastic and like a fun... It was a great place to work. My very first startup was like a five-person startup, and we rented like a shitty little office space in um, near Madison Square Park. Um, which was, they called it Silicon Alley. It's like right. a very bastardized version of Silicon Valley. Um, uh, and, you know, I, my, that startup lasted for about 11 months. So one shy, one month shy of our one year con- um, rent, rent contract. <laughs> yeah. But it, I don't think I've ever worked in an office that is as spacious as this one is for apparently five people. Yeah. Like, it doesn't really seem like, <laughs> what are they doing while in office space? Also, not to jump forward, but there's a scene later in the office where it's decorated balloons and i'm like is there an office manager who's decorating yeah, this and like right. restocking we, the mini fridges <laughs> or what are these guys really good with balloons i don't know yeah the, we definitely did not see the office that's manager. a good point about the office manager <laughs> well i mean there's a lot of weird san francisco real estate stuff in this that like kind of you know sort of trips you like mary mcdonald i don't know what her financial situation is but she's like teaching piano in like a 45 million dollar mansion and like her apartment is probably like eight thousand dollars a month or something like that in contemporary prices so not sure how all that works out but it's going great for her and i'm sorry i'm I'm sorry matt i know you're trying to keep us like on chronicle we don't work but is she a piano teacher (laughs) or is she a math expert like what what is i'm very confused by what her actual like expertise is in this movie yeah unclear no that seemed very confusing to me yeah i I didn't quite get that she clearly is well read and and uh and really smart uh but also teaching piano in a mansion. In a mansion. It's going great for many her. Dozens Using of voices. I need the spinoff. <laughs> I need the prequel of just whatever she was doing before she met Redford or how she met Redford. I mean, we will. I will later go on an, a short rant yeah. about the underdeveloped female characters. In fair, movie, but totally. Uh, fair. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get there. I'm I not yet. I'm no. I know. <laughs> yeah, I, I just want to call out uh, just while we're on on the startup office. My first. Uh, startup was at Second and Folsom, yeah. um, and it was an old candy factory. So it literally had these twenty-five foot ceil- you know, ceilings of all exposed brick, with the conference room, and then the servers like up racks up on the second floor that you could see them. And I remember this was Critical Path. I remember walking in, and there were so many people. This is ninety-nine. It was so frantic, buzzing. Like my interview was literally at the front couch when you walked in the front door because there were no conference rooms available nothing done and people just sort of came through and interviewed so that kind of frantic action of early startup days i miss that mm. uh that it was a really fun fun part of san francisco history and this is like a little bit before then now there's no offices at all anymore so 
you know, it's all <laughs> yeah. it's all just artifact. It's like we're talking about fax machines. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so so they get approached by the NSA. So talk to me about uh, Timothy Busfeld. Timothy Busfeld, West Wing, 30 something. Yeah. Just a great just a great one. One of our greats. Uh, really good. A really great character actor. Um, I super love this fun guy. This. Yeah. Yeah. And he's really fun in this. Like he has got a great mm-hmm. kind of like uh, spunky fun attitude. Uh, it's a good job as a spy. And I, th- I think this scene, they do a good job of like both the exposition needed of establishing who the characters are, where they kind of run through the the rap sheets for each of them and establishing their credentials as hackers and as outsiders to the system, um, but making it still pretty like snappy and fun. Um, it doesn't feel like yeah. too heavy handed a narrative ploy. That's one of the things about this movie that, again, I guess why I compared it to Rounders is that the the flow of the movie, like the way in which it does like exposition and just gives you exactly what you need in each scene and the way it connects that from one scene to the next without it being like this weird kind of like, okay, like, you know, now we're like somewhere else. Like, it's just amazing. Like, like that. It, it's it's such a well-crafted movie in the storytelling. Uh, and like this whole introduction of like the NSA guys is like a good example of that. Well, so, yeah. And specifically, once, once uh, you know, Bishop sees what's going on, he says, I don't, I don't work, work for, for the, the government. government. We know. National Security Agency. Oh. You're the guys I hear breathing on the other end of my phone. No, that's the FBI. We're not chartered for domestic surveillance. Oh, I see. You just overthrow governments, set up friendly dictators. No, that's the CIA. We protect our government's communications. We try to break the other fellow's codes. We're the good guys, Marty. So, Jason, anything we need to know about how, uh, you know, this stuff actually works and uh, jurisdictions between different governmental spy agencies? Well, yeah, I mean, the NSA can't operate domestically, like... You know, unless the can't they though exceptions, 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 and like the the I mean the funny <laughs> thing the, the funny thing about this is well two things first of all this is almost contemporaneous with the time when we covered Goodwill Hunting when right uh, when Will was interviewing with the NSA mm-hmm. uh, so maybe Will's on the other side of these on these satellites uh, <laughs> and and two is like the the technology stuff in the movie. Like the word internet, I think, doesn't appear in the movie at all. Mm. Uh, and and yet, like the idea that like people would be trying to uh, break encryption is obviously very contemporaneously sound. Uh, and the idea that the idea that maybe the NSA has created backdoors in core encryption algorithms uh, in order to gain an advantage uh, turns out just to be a thing that actually happened. So like, you know, th- like there's there's a lot of prescience in this movie from, a, you know, both like a, a spying standpoint, but also just the technology part of it. Um, and that's pretty cool for ne- for how early this movie is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious, Jason, just like such a fascinating perspective. How much do you feel like the black box, which I, I know we're almost getting to, so I feel like I'm not. Yeah, yeah. No, no, go for it. Like, go how for much it. do you feel like it is a believable, like, ploy in this story versus kind of being a little bit more of a MacGuffin of a like the secret box that does everything for everyone. Yeah. The, the, the idea that it's a box is a little broken, right? Like, cause you know, it probably would, it, 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 it couldn't be a little box in one chip too. Like, yeah. yeah, it couldn't be a chip. Like that's a, that's the only thing. That's the only thing that doesn't really make sense technically for the time period or whatever. Um, 
But the idea that like there's a giant box or a bunch of boxes right. that are trying to break encryption, or code, yeah. yeah, that 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 makes sense. You know, they're just not gonna, you're not going to be able to lift them. Right, um, <laughs> you'll have two of them noise. in your briefcase. <laughs> they're going to be uh, very hot. Uh, <laughs> Well, and I, I will give a shout out to dear friend Peter Kafka. Um, the latest uh, episode of Recode Media has Ronan Farrow on it, um, and it's called We Are Living in a Post-Privacy Age, and it's about an article that he wrote for The New Yorker about Pegasus, uh, the spyware uh, piece that is basically getting people's phones, cameras, microphones, every encrypted messages, everything uh, that's being used to target that, and um, some, of the, some of the concerns that we need to have, and... I do. I definitely thought of Bob Lord uh, listening yeah. to that, and just mm-hmm. the need mm-hmm. to constantly be updating, making sure you're on the latest version uh, of the software, and choose your platforms carefully. I have to check that pod out. I haven't listened to it yet. It's but, good. Yeah, there's. I mean, no, the I mean, the sur- surveillance aspect of this movie, which obviously runs through hackers yeah. and the net as well, is so you know obviously has been only more relevant. Um, in our modern age of just the amount of information both being collected and the amount of surveillance happening at all times. It, and it's kind of amazing that all of those, like, you know, like Cosmo's whole speech about information, like that's what this is all going to be about. Like that, that, like all of that stuff that's like in the politics of the movie, this is 92. It's both before people had any conception of what the internet was at all. And it's certainly well before advertising, online advertising as a surveillance engine existed as any concept. Like, you know, it's, it's incredibly well spotted, um, thematically. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty impressed by all that stuff. And certainly again, not getting ahead of myself, but the, the end speech by Cosmo really like sums that up nicely in terms of the, the power of information. Yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. You don't have to apologize to H. You go where you want to be a guest on this podcast. Well, no, the speech. (laughs) Thank you, Jason. Cosmo says, There's a war out there, old friend. A world war. And it's not about who's got the most bullets. It's about who controls the information. What we see and hear, how we work, what we think. It's all about the information. If I were you, I'd destroy that thing. (laughs) That notion of... Uh, he wants to be a hacker. He wants access to it. This is Bishop, but then also is afraid of where it's going to go and, and how it would be used. The, the the end point of the movie, the one thing that I don't quite get is like, uh, th- it's basically revealed that the NSA was doing this essentially as like a rogue operation to get the decryption black box to not spy on the Russians, but to spy on the other governmental agencies or other domestic targets. Uh, and I'm not entirely sure both like technically, I don't quite understand that. And then, and you know, what they're, what they're saying, like the Russians have different codes. Like, well, like, what do you like? It's written in Cyrillic. Like, what do you mean? I think that's just a plot point, right? But yeah, I don't, but like, it's just a plot point, but I, I just don't know what it points to in terms of like, I think it's just a piece of like paranoia. Like, oh, there's this government agency who's like running its own. It's also, I guess, I guess it's both two things. Thematically, it's, there's this governance agency that's running its own rogue operation. That's something that's freaky in this new world of information surveillance. And mm-hmm. then two, it's a it's a plot device to get our heroes out of trouble because otherwise, like if the NSA was real, like and if they did have authority to do this, they could just arrest these guys, and we wouldn't have, uh, you know, he wants you to work on peace on Earth and that stuff. 
The other thing it weirdly does, though, is it also kind of make, takes, like, the Cold War aspect of this movie off the table. Like, yeah. you know, there's obviously this Russian element throughout. And in a weird way, the Russians kind of end up being, like, good guys in this movie. Yeah. Like, Greg mm-hmm. is a little bit of a hero. And mm-hmm. um, and it's not the Russians trying to steal the technology. So I don't – I'm guessing that was in, inadvertent. But um, I, I actually do like that it, you know – repositions the espionage thriller as a domestic story which so often it just becomes like some foreign government as like the evil villain and this is yeah it it brings a little bit more nuance to the story that is true that i like that it it does end up becoming domestic focus and it makes sense given when the movie's set that it existed in this like russian interregnum of like oh the russians are chill right now like you know they're Mm -hmm. the soviet union and like it's not before the current stuff happened and so you know they could just be fun and we can go to a concert together now and, they're yeah. they're very cultured. They have yeah great exactly. Taste in the the yeah. spy the spy yeah. now has a business card that says cultural attaché. Yeah, <laughs> I love that line he had. It was like it's been a confusing two years for folks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it was yeah. a real world change, right? Like yeah. that was a huge that was a huge thing before we were almost back yeah. at war with them. You know, the thing though I forgot to mention in the opening scene too, just on this same vein yeah. of, of um, we're talking about. I love that the opening scene really cements the movie also in political activism, that like they are hacking, you know, for political purposes. And there's sort of like this idea that there's these like leftist college students that are out there kind of trying to like make the world better, Um, which obviously also is where we kind of come to at the end. And again, it's kind of an interesting um, divergence from the typical story of just like government versus government. It's really more of a like within a, a philosophical you know, activist political mindset within the U.S. government or within like the U.S. political scene. And it obviously ends, ends there as well. I mm. think it's it's interesting, too, because like on that point and like, you know, Derek asked this in chat was like it it, it it reinforces the more leftist origin story of modern computing. And, and like I think that's I think that is true, although I think like the leftist origin of modern computing is more libertarian than it is like, yeah. you know, people hacking to to, right. to mess with the RNC. Uh, and so like, I, I think more prank based, right? Initially. Yeah. And so I think, I think the part that it misses in terms of like internet culture, authenticity to internet culture is the part that's like more about in it for the lulls and like, you know, more, you know, that, that, that is more of that, like anti-authoritarian libertarian. Right. And also just like in this moment, we could maybe use a little less doing stuff for the lulls and like, just like actually doing stuff. Yeah. Which, which, which would be great. It would be great if there was more Martin bishops, like, you know, sort of, uh, in our, in our, if that had been more of the early internet. Martin Bishop can buy out Twitter. I don't know what he's up to, but if he's available. <laughs> I mean, Co- Cosmo is kind of an anarchist, right? It's, it's, yeah. I just want to overthrow all the systems and right. tear right. it all down. And, and Bishop is a little bit more the moderate, you know, yeah, hacker that just wants like things to be better for the world. You can believe he has a, a moral compass that is not as extreme as the sort of, it's all broken. So we're going to, you know, fight club it. Yeah. It was a direct fight club lift for sure. And only seven years before fight club, right? That, that whole literal dis- destroy the oh, proof the of project the proof stuff. of property. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. 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 Exactly. Which I'm sure has origins before before this story too. I mean, and in hackers, the sort of hack, you know, that same hack idea the planet. Of like, hack the planet. And also like I think this movie also references like the phone company has too much money, which is why freaking is not a bad thing because you're taking money from like the, the evil corporations and returning it to the people. Um and so you definitely see some of that in this film mm. as well. Yeah. Hmm. Well, 
I uh, just to backtrack for a second. Can we just talk about Donna Logue as another it continuing, uh, you know, set of rock star mathematicians on Dune Pod? Oh my God, the mathematicians <laughs> who fuck! Like, what is going on with this? Like, Hollywood is just got a wild concept of what's going on in the professional math world. Like the fashion, the swagger. Yeah. The, it's just it's just amazing what they think is going on in these math departments. You didn't have that at, at Princeton in the uh, in the physics department. And that wasn't that wasn't my experience of the math department. But maybe I took the wrong <laughs> the debate classes. team. No. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, I just thought that was kind of I thought that was kind of wild. And also like the whole scene of them surveilling him and with a female scientist and you know Carl trying to be able to watch uh, while while. Oh, yeah. Yeah. While they're getting busy, I thought was I thought was really really funny. Yeah, it was funny. Um, but then I also liked the whole like the break in and like you know him tricking the guy to push the button to get up there and defeating the key lock. Um, and also the the him lying and coming up with uh, you know what he's going to say to the the woman on the fly. I thought was Redford kind of really having a lot of fun and uh, and that was super entertaining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I also I mean I love the you know, the setup for this break-in where it's Whistler who calls out that it must be the answer machine box when he does, when they're right. listening to the tape over and over again, trying to um, identify the password via the video and he's only listening to it. So it kind of sets up again, like throughout the movie, you'll have Whistler kind of using his, uh, his superpower to see what, or hear what others can't. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. I, I love, I love that setup. Mm. Yeah. And the joke about the, you know, how he breaks into the, Past the electronic the block one is a yeah kind of a, a classic. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's a yeah. good one. It goes on for a while. Someone pointed out when we were watching the Chucklehead, it's got there's a lot of like um, uh, Indiana Jones shooting the shooting the guy with the sword body. exactly, and, yeah. and, and it's yeah. just like yeah, there's there's a simpler solution. So there was a, you know, when they've got the box and you're only like 35 minutes into the movie or 40 minutes into it, it's very clear that something is about to happen, right? Right. And there is a bit of a, a like an eight or nine minute scene of them hacking the box. Um, you know, Whistler's figuring out how it works and they're starting to hack different things. And at the same time, you have the anagram work on Scrabble. So first of all, how good are you guys at Scrabble? Um, like, and, and how good are you at anagrams? I, 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 uh, took a couple extra minutes before logging on to this, to this, the zoom call to come up with an anagram for my name. Cause I felt it was important for the authenticity of the, of the podcast experience. So, oh, and you got uh, that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. We'll do tell. Log jabs and on is is a <laughs> anagram. <laughs> well, there was nothing for H, and there was nothing for Matt Herrero, so I put in Dune Pod, and I got pounded. Oh, okay, great. There you go. That's as, yeah. that's as good as I could get. Yeah. Hmm. No, I, I I thought that was fun. I thought I love I love that scene of Whistler. I mean, this the glasses alone of him of him reacting to like what's on the screen is just beautiful. Oh, I mean, that's another thing we haven't talked about yet is that. The cinematography is gorgeous in this movie as well. Like all of like the all of the dark sh shot with the lights and like all of the 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 I mean it's hard to make people at computers look good. Like that is not yeah. a particularly compelling visual image and this is awesome. Like I don't know exactly why Whistler needs like you know those glasses uh, well, those glasses or like, you know, he's got a drum machine and a sequencer as part of Hell you know, yeah. his hacking setup. <laughs> unclear, unclear why, like, you know, craft work is needed in order to like, <laughs> break into, you know, banks and whatnot. Um, but I like it. I'm glad that it's in there. 
Yeah. This is DP John Lindley, who also shot Field of Dreams. Uh, um, yeah. That's with Aldenson. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really beautiful. Also, really great part of the scene is that before they get to the um, the puzzle solving part, the dancing mm-hmm. scene is yeah. Aretha Franklin's yes. Chain of Fools, which I feel mm-hmm. like yes. is a nice little nod to the the fact that that's, it's clearly a setup for them to look foolish a few minutes later. Yeah. Oh, nice. Do you think it's a, a harbinger? Do you think it's a anticipates a blockchain uh, critique as well? <laughs> oh, 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 wow. Boy. I wasn't going to go there, but okay. <laughs> you had to mention blockchain. Is there a blockchain <laughs> noise yet? <laughs> like you no, we don't have a blockchain. We don't have a blockchain <laughs> recurring segment yet. Thank no, God. No, not yet. Um, so, so they, you know, it's, so it's a code breaker. No, it's the code breaker. Um, and so they Except take for it to only do- for American code as we later learn. We don't know. <laughs> that. Yeah, exactly. That's right. <laughs> but so they go to hand it off to the NSA at Hills Brothers, which I worked in that Hills yes. Brothers building, um, in 2002. It's a and- Google office now. It's a Google office now. It wasn't yeah. then. Uh, again, this was at critical, my second time at critical path. Um, and I just noted a couple of things. We were on, I, th- I think like the fourth floor or something, but the floor above us was, uh, secret service, San Francisco. Mm. And I remember like having lunch, looking up into their, uh, into their room and they had an in the line of fire poster up on the wall. Amazing. Yeah. So like they're, they were definitely, uh, they were into it. Also, I remember one of the IT guys saying that the floors were sealed, like the crawl space, you literally mm. could not get up into their crawl space um, between our floors. So great. Security. Also, the Carmen Ghia that uh, he pulls up in mm. is the same one Mike Myers drove in So I Married an Axe Murderer, oh. also shot in San Francisco. Oh, I haven't seen that Facts. one. Facts. That's some of the better kind of San Francisco footage. You know, yeah. Very well done, iconic yeah. uh, filming. Yeah. Then the other thing I was like, I was like, he's wearing this Letterman jacket. Like, is that all he wears? And it turns out that was the same Letterman jacket from The Natural. Really? Yes. That's like one of those like Harrison Ford couldn't be bothered to go to wardrobe facts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And like, I don't know. I got it. I'm that just must have been. This. I mean, that must have been Redford's choice. He was just like, I'm yeah. really attached to this jacket. This is good. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, well, we've got like a no, no, no. This is good. I'm gonna wear this. Like, well, <laughs> I got it. You could just like we. It's just it'll take a minute. No, I'm gonna let's just shoot. Let's run one. <laughs> Love that. Love that for him. So they, you know, they the guys steal it. He ends up going and trying to get help from Greg. He gets captured. He gets framed for a murder. And then he gets put together with Cosmo after being stuck in a trunk uh, and hearing the sound as they're driving to the office. But so there's a couple of things here. So first of all, Ben Kingsley, um, mm-hmm. this ponytail, this kind of small micro ponytail. The ponytail is a weird choice. The ponytail. But is a that weird, was that- very much. That was like of the, the end of that moment. There was um, Witches of Eastwick. Uh, Jack had that same ponytail. I had it when I was kind of growing out a ponytail. Like it was definitely a look. I love that you had a ponytail phase. Oh, yeah, yeah. I had a that was time. never an option for me. That's how my life is gone. <laughs> there was never a time in my life in which a ponytail was an actual option. Like it just never, it never came in that yeah. much hair. Well, I don't know what to tell you. Well, the small ponytail and waking up next to a fish tank with a shark in it are like the biggest signals of like villain. villain, villain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I have Not to. A I, good I, guy. I couldn't. There must be other movies with like villains with giant fish tanks. But I couldn't think of them. While I was like, there's them. a James Bond. There's Bond, a James yeah. Bond when okay, he, he drops a guy in a, yeah. in a in a fish tank for sure. Yeah. Mm. 
Mm. Well, also, uh, you know, you have some pretty awesome, uh, you know, development here. So first of all, he is able to identify him because he does the the close hand magic trick uh, yes. with the aspirin bottle. So Jason, I assume you saw the credits, uh, the the close hand specialist. There was a different. It was someone else's hands. Uh, well, no, just the consultant, the close hand. Oh, uh, the, the close hands consultant. You know who, who it? it would be. Is it Ricky J? It's Ricky J. Ah, uh, that's amazing. Golly, amazing. we should do a Ricky J. Uh, you know, starring. Yes, film Ricky J. Month on Dune Pod. Oh my God! Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that'd be incredible. They also, uh, you know, he describes how he brought Excel to the mob. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a that's a big breakthrough. <laughs> The mob didn't have pivot tables before Ben Kingsley. Or good financial practices. He all, yeah. This is also, back to Jason's point earlier, this is, this is another reference to freaking he, make, he drops here about how he talks about how he, he helped them make free phone calls from jail, which I think is mm. also a, not, a nod to some of the um, hacker culture that they are trying to enmesh themselves in. But yeah, I, yes. loved, I loved the like, it was a mess and I used some pivot tables. Yeah, exactly. hired I- me. <laughs> I had like sort of a freaky crisis of identity when he was kind of going through that story because I was like, I've always been like a very rule following person. So I don't think there's ever a time in which I would have been like arrested for hacking. But in the world in which I was and like went down alone because my partner ran away to Canada like a coward and changed his name to a very similar sounding name. (laughs) um, Like I could easily see myself just being like, I can project manage the mob. Like, is that a skill that like I can, uh, I can, I can market my way out of here. Like I can, you know, we can, I can run scrum for the mob. Like, is that like something that we can, I can survive doing that? Like that, that definitely is a path that was available at one point. Oh my God. Nice. Nice. All that. This was like pre-scrum. I think that I don't, this was, this was like, during the water. It would have been a waterfall. Waterfall. For there the we mob. go. Yeah, okay. exactly. Very good. Well, no, I, I just, I love the fact that they're sitting on a Cray YMP. Um, super. Yes. Looks um, great. The idea of designing computers that look like furniture and look really cool. Bring um, it back. When I was at uh, Minnesota Regional Networks, when I was in Minneapolis getting my computer science degree, the Cray Supercomputer Center was one of our customers. And it was amazing because the whole data center is full of these kind of computers. And they had blue and red um, cabling going in for arteries and veins for cool water and, and warm water. It was amazing. They really were sexy looking. I mean, like they really, someone had a theory about how to, uh, what, the, what what vibe they were going for. And we well, never really got so back much space. to that. It was yeah. basically furniture. So. <laughs> right. Well, and they're like so good. hot though. Like, I mean, like, it's not like anyone's actually going to go sit on it. Like it was just like, it was, it was sculptural more than like it was, yeah. you know, anything else. But it, it's just, it's just beautiful. Love, mm. love that they had that in there. Mm. Sort of felt like a Tron office too. Totally. Um, I was thinking, I was, I was, I was excited to see that the vibes of the Tron office were still, they made it into the 90s. Mm. Mm. So they go back to Liz's apartment um, as, after he is dumped and they're trying to kind of figure out what's going on. And so I like a couple of things. First of all, yeah. they do some social engineering, they go through his trash, um, and notably, they pull out a Captain Crunch. Um, box, which is a shout out to Captain Crunch, one of the original phone freakers yeah. uh, who had the whistle yep. that would give the free phone calls. Um, also, we have the whole montage of Whistler figuring out what the sound effects are and which bridge they went over and where where they went. So Whistler, who is godlike, is basically Daredevil, um, was mm. patented after Joe Ingressia, who was a mm. blind telephone expert born with perfect pitch, who was one of the original phone freakers. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I thought that was really cool. This scene is, I think, one. I mean, I think it's the best scene in the movie. And I think it's like, I think it's one of the best scenes 
just generally like it, it's it's just a it's a it's so great the way they put this whole thing together the fade from them recreating it in the apartment to them on the bridge is like mm-hmm. so such a fun payoff is it the dumbarton bridge it yeah is. i was actually it yeah. is dumbarton okay yeah. mm-hmm. okay i was like thank you i want to make check with the bay area folks make sure i knew which one it was i think they're like in fremont or something i don't like mess with those be. other bridges to be I, uh, hayward, hayward or something when I worked at Facebook, I would stay at the, there was a hotel across the Demurn and I would, so I would like spend a lot of time going back and forth across that bridge because it was like one of the dun, closest. Dun, dun, yeah. Wow. But I never, yeah. I never thought to check whether the sound actually uh, oh. checks out compared to the movie. Yeah. You were probably busy. I'm, I'm <laughs> so then the last piece they have to defeat in order to break in and steal the box is to get the voice print. And so we have this whole thing with Liz getting the words from Werner, uh, played by Steven Tobolowski, who was yes. Jack Barker on Silicon Valley. Um, before at, he, this is before his Groundhog Day turn too. Tobolowski. Oh yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I just saw Groundhog Day for the first time last year, two years mm. ago. It was good. Yeah, it's a good one. It we good. don't have time to cover Groundhog Day right no. now. We'll have to do a separate pod on that. <laughs> okay. All right, fair <laughs> uh, I, but I, I did find it was pretty wild, um, you know, when he's talking to Doris and he asks her if she'd like to have breakfast with me. Uh, Doris, would you like to have breakfast with me? Sure, fine. Shall I phone you or nudge you? Yeah. Check, please. That was oh, his God. move. What is that? What does that mean? Well, it's like, are you going to sleep She's over? She's spending the night. Like, uh, yeah. Come on, Matt. <laughs> wait, wait, oh, my Matt, you God. Didn't... <laughs> but how did you get married twice without, like, without, you... without a... <laughs> how did you not know? Oh, my God. I, I mean, I do think the depiction, of, the depiction of, like, I think they call it computer dating on this is pretty fun and pretty great. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's my only other big plot hole gripe is that the whole... Uh, like when when she ends up at Playtronics yes. or whatever, yeah, and and they're, and she's getting away from it. Like they check his office, no one's there, and then Ben Kings is like, "Wait a minute, a computer set up you?" And you know, it's like, "Well, come on, man! Like computers are it's not like the, the computers only can do like three things right now. They can start right. like a recipe. Like it's not even like a a thing that really you should doubt that they would set these two people up." There might only, these might be the only two people dating. <laughs> I also think right now a lot of people would say that like online dating is not a perfect science. Exactly. Either, so the idea that it's like computers will make like perfect matches. Nary yeah. was not not quite good at predicting the future around. Yeah. That mm. one I, doesn't make sense. I mean, I also just love the scene of um, when she's at his house and sh- she's um, stealing his ID card. He's discussing um, how the, the dinner is only 400 calories and, and yeah. how, like the perfect <laughs> meal is what you find at the bottom of a monkey's kitchen. It just seems like such an awful date. <laughs> it's just like... And someone pointed out that he's like all obsessed with his like monkey cage calorie counting situation. But then... He uh, also meets her for like dim sum and is just shoving pork rolls and like, you know, sho- pork buns in his face uh, at the beginning of this date as well. So he just seems terrible. It's wild. He, he's the yeah. worst. Yeah. Well, so they are able to defeat it. They're able to get get the box and get it out. But then they are captured. Um, and we'll, I will say my only note on the whole slow motion infiltration thing. Like, I think this was done much better in Mission Impossible 1 uh, by Tom. Mm. Right. Tom Cruise. But much later, right? I mean, like, they, yeah, you know, they get a, a couple of years. Being... I don't know. I don't know how far far off it was, but yes, I, it's true. These were these. This were the one's pioneers. more for jokes, yeah, than it is, yeah. you know, for for serious. 
Fair enough. Um, well, anything else you guys want to hit on the getting out of there? We're going to want to go straight to James Earl Jones. The, on the heist, I, there's a couple of things I would hit on the heist. One is uh, everyone just sleeps at this office. Like Ben Kingsley yeah. is there. <laughs> yeah. uh, what's his face Instantly. from the West Wing is there. Yeah. Their private army of like 50 dudes is there. Like they, it's just like 2 a.m., on a Wednesday or whatever time this is, everyone's there. Everyone's just sleeping under their desk at this toy factory. I also have to say the other, another, not plot hole, but it seemed like a little bit of a, a stereotype of this type of movie was when uh, Cosmo leaves the room. He's like, I'm going to kill you, but I'm going to leave the room when it happens. And so yeah, of course, right, yeah. there's the like opportunity yeah. to escape. And then no one seems to catch them for quite a while while Whistler is driving the yeah, car, yeah. which is another yeah, yeah, fun yeah. Whistler scene of him. him totally. Totally. Um, yeah. but it's like, of, of course, Cosmo like leaves him unattended long enough for him to escape and then do the whole trick of the wrong box. You know, it's a, yeah, yeah. it's very tidy. It's a very tidy. Movie. It's tidy. tidy. It's a tidy movie. Yeah. 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 Well, they did it. They, you know, they, they make their way out. Uh, he does not, Cosmo is not willing to shoot him after thinking he's gotten the box. Um, and he escapes and we are presented by, uh, James Earl Jones playing Abbott, uh, from the NSA. And I, like, I don't know about you guys, but I am like, I don't know, like core memory program. Like when I hear his voice, I just instantly stop what I'm doing and am locked in. Um, he was great in the Jack Ryan movies and, and here. I think I, I I don't even like really read him as Darth Vader anymore because he's, I, I, I'm like, oh, it's like, you know. Uh, it's Mufasa or whatever. Like, you know, it, yeah. it's, it, it, there's just so much, uh, there's so much other stuff. Um, he's delightful in this. Uh, it's great that he shows up. It's fun that he also in one scene goes from being like the heavy, like he's like a serious dude who's gonna like, you know, he's with the people with Uzis to like kind of being the comedic foil. Um, like that's a clever, that's a clever bit of writing too. Right. Whistler, Whistler says that, you know, they're each asking what they want, a Winnebago and, uh, you know, first class tickets or whatever. Whistler says, I, I want, want peace, peace on earth. earth and goodwill toward men. Oh, this is ridiculous. Are you serious? I want peace on earth and goodwill toward men. We are the United States government. We don't do that sort of thing. Just going to have to try. Yeah. That's a good joke. It's a good joke. It's a great line. Well, and like the and the River Phoenix hitting on the lady agent uh, with the Uzi, like that's one of those jokes that like I really think only works because River Phoenix is so charming. Like you're just you're just like oh yeah, like it's fun because it's like River Phoenix and like you know she's got a gun and like whatever. Like you know it's like it, it it's not it's not as like weird as it would be if it was like you know Dan Aykroyd trying to do that maneuver. Right. Well, it's a little confusing because they're like these people are staying there with guns yet somehow the team is also still able to extract demands from the situation. Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the whole right. gun is clearly just like not an actual real plot device and it's just to make her right. look kind of like a badass. And then, yeah. Um, but this also, I mean, I will say this is, I think the third woman in the movie total and oh, again, yeah. just exists to basically be a like plot device for river Phoenix to, you know, hit on to so, hit on. Eh. Yeah. Well, we definitely feel the Bechdel test of, Different oh yeah, no way. Yeah. yeah, it's it's no good. I mean, the the third woman, the other one, is the one that uh, wants the, the hot professor? mathematician. Yeah, yeah, so right. It's like, <laughs> no, yeah. No. yeah, it's uh, like the best. Maybe besides uh, our forever president uh, from Battlestar, like the uh, the best female character in the in the movie is probably the 
uh, bank clerk who just gives who just yes. gives him shit. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. I love Liz, right? Like Mary McDonald's amazing. She's good. Uh, it's like unclear, but but we don't actually know what she's up to. To like the point that we made earlier, we're like, is she a mathematician? Is she a musician? Like, what is her whole vibe? You know, she's her like, skill set seems to be like flirting with men to extract, uh, yeah, exactly, you know, voice words clips. from them. So, voice clips, yeah. But I think if this movie were done today, like there would definitely be a third yeah. act twist where she's actually, you know, on somebody's payroll and doing something and blah blah blah. Uh, she was, I think she like place. she played the part like really well for what the, yeah. the part was, and and made it like yeah. she's funny and like in on the joke, and uh, I think she makes the most of it, but yeah. still not ideal. Yeah. Well, so the end of the film is he gives back the box, but he holds the chip and then and says that it didn't work. And then he begins hacking. He's using it now, Bishop, to hack the RNC and give their money away to, uh, you know, uh, Greenpeace and Amnesty International and the United Negro College Fund. So, like, they're not going to figure that out and come after him again. I mean, you know, look, man, they, they, they clearly they clearly don't have the best people involved right now. Like, you know, they, they, they don't have all of the skills yet. It seems fine. They only caught them. The, it's unclear how they got caught the first time. It seems like they were just in like the wrong place at the wrong time. But, you know, they're fine. It's going to be fine for them. OK, they're going to get right. away with it. It's, again, it's a very tidy movie. So it, like, it ha- yeah. you know, like one of the things that's comforting about it is that it kind of wraps everything up very nicely. And you kind of have this arc of starting with the with the political hack and ending with egalitarian yeah you know and again he's a hacker with a heart of gold type of um theme yeah Mm, good guy i like every time redford is talking i'm just like i love what you're doing i want to follow you like tell me tell me where to go um he really has that that absolute charismatic uh capability well, that brings us to Nell. Who would Tilda Swinton play? Yes. I've been thinking a lot about this because I know this is a recurring question. I mean, I feel like the obvious answer here is Cosmo, just like as like she oh, plays like the badass character. Oh shit. I didn't think about that. I love um, it. So I mean, I think that would be my my vote. Nice. Mm. Or maybe the Russian, just because I feel like she'd also I would like to see her with a Russian. Oh, accent. Greg. Okay, mm. nice. I am going to go ahead and take my my choice, which is Whistler. Mm. But I Whistler's so good. Like I don't want. I lose. know, but she'd be incredible. Like, yeah. can you imagine her like giving all of that? I don't think we've seen her play blind before. Like that'd be impressive. That'd be, be good. Very, very good, Jason. I'm I'm going. We we had this in the chucklehead at the time, and uh, I think, and it's also the now the chat favorite as well. Which is Tilda plays the Robert Redford role. Uh, they have like Whoa. you know they they're both redheads, uh, <laughs> so it, it makes sense. Um, and I I it, it just sort of like if you picture it in your mind, like her doing some of the Redford scenes, it kind of it you you you'll you'll see why it works. And and I think Redford is not above replacement in this movie. Like obviously great, but not the not the strongest. Mm, I could see part it. of it. Mm, I could definitely see it. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Awesome. We did it. Love it. All right. Well, let's do some letters. Let's do some letters. All right. Here's the first letter. We haven't heard from this guy for a while. Hey, guys. This is Silly. Yeah. I wanted to come out of voicemail retirement uh, to chat about uh, a favorite of mine, Sneakers. I think one of the all-time great heist films. Um, 
a really underrated gem. I think you've just got such an incredible cast um, across the board, and you know, it really feels kind of like a, a precursor to Ocean's Eleven, um, which is another one of my favorite heist films. You've got kind of that Redford doing that sort of Danny Ocean charm. Um, this is one of my dad's favorite films. This is probably my third or fourth mm. rewatch um, with the Chuckle Hut, and I uh, thought that it just holds up really well and kind of uh, surprisingly prescient in terms of uh, kind of what role data would play uh, in our lives. But uh, I had so much fun, um, and uh, really the scene that, that stuck with me back then and was so fun to watch uh, this time around is kind of when Whistler um, goes through the whole recreation of you know, figuring out um, where uh, Robert Redford's character was kidnapped by doing the sound and the, yeah. the gap between the <laughs> bumps in the road and all of that. Such a cool, uh, smartly written scene. Um, it's really emblematic of the whole movie. So anyways, looking forward to hearing the conversation. Uh, keep up the great work, guys. And I'll see you in the Chuckle Hut. Always nice. good to hear from Dune Pod projectionist Silly Oswald. Hardest working mm. man in Dune Pod. After, after, I like that he called it a heist movie. It's like one of the things I think a lot about is like, what is the genre of this movie? Like, is it, yeah. you know, is it a hacker movie? Is it a heist movie? Is it a comedy? Like, I do, I think it kind of hits on a lot of and it very ably switches between genres in a way that's like also kind of makes it fun and rewarding. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's like, it's like a paranoia movie. Like, it is a throwback to like the, the, Days of the Condor movie. Like, it is this, like, yeah. oh, like you know, like, shit's going to go wrong. The government's out to get you movie. I love it. It's great. Great genre. I really want to watch that one again. Three Days of the Condor is a really great one. Yeah. All right. Let's see what we have next. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Here we go. The Corey phone is ringing. Oh, no. Doompod. Hey, it is Corey from Austin, Texas, calling about 1992's movie Sneakers. Okay. I have to admit, I didn't watch Sneakers. I didn't get yeah. Around to it, so I was too busy watching um, Space Truckers. You remember Space Truckers? Oh, Seth yeah. Topper, Debbie Bazaar. Mm-hmm. Um, Never seen it. Possible visual inspiration to The Fifth Element, even though I'm sure Luke Besson and uh, Jean-Paul Gaultier and uh, Mobius would disagree. But, you know, I'm just saying. Uh, and the other movie I was watching was the um, cocaine-based slapstick comedy, very loosely based on Robert Louis Stevenson's uh, short story. Jekyll and Hyde together again. Ever heard of it? 1982. Classic. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I didn't watch the good movie. I was watching other movies. But anyway, I do know that uh, Sneakers has like a really stacked and packed cast. I looked that up and saw there was like a ton of people in it. So that made me think like, well, quick, come up with something. So I came up with a question, kind of like a low rent version of Kev's question. <laughs> um, a yeah. question, I guess. So. <laughs> What are your top three Dan Aykroyd movies? Wow. And then I kept like to do this to throw you the curveball. You cannot use Ghostbusters and right, you obviously. cannot use Blues Brothers. Oh, yeah. All right, I'll start. Mine would be Trading <laughs> Places, right? Neighbors, I know that's controversial, I know, but he's really good in that. And then, of course, Dr. Detroit, which I'm trying to sell H on. I really think you'd enjoy Dr. Detroit. I think you should check it out. Jason, maybe you also would enjoy Dr. Detroit. There is a Star Trek II Wrath of Khan joke at the very end. <laughs> anyway, that's it for me, you guys. Sorry I dropped the ball, but uh, I'll do better next week. All right, later. I love Kim Mendersky's comment about this voice. I was like, this is another podcast. 
Uh, Corey's uh, welcome to host his podcast on our podcast anytime. Uh, he's 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 always welcome. I like I like that he both asked the question and answered it too. That's good, also. Well, yeah, and then also like taking off uh, all of the movies that I like. What am I supposed to choose? Nineteen forty one, like Coneheads. I guess I was not that big into it. I mean, no, I mean the- me either. It's just the, <laughs> it's what's, what's left. left. <laughs> oh well, yeah, Driving Miss Daisy. I think he was nominated, but uh, yeah. First of all, uh, there's Ghostbusters two. That's not off. That's not off the table. So I'm gonna put Ghostbusters two on the list. Fantastic, okay. fantastic Don- Dan Aykroyd uh, performance. Um, that's I'm going to put Spies Like Us. Like I Spies Like Us, I definitely watched a million oh, times. Oh, Spies Like Us is uh, great. As a kid. Uh, what about sure. The Great Outdoors? I don't remember that one. Oh, John Candy? And that, one, that, that one's amazing. Wait, that Indiana one's... Jones and the Temple of Doom as Weber? What is that? Uh, I don't know about that one. I don't All know right. about that one. Now we're just reading the Dan. We're not right. really answering the question. Thanks, Corey. Like reading the <laughs> Dan Aykroyd filmography. Th- thanks, a lo- thanks a lot, Corey. All right, we have one last voicemail here. <laughs> we'll... Corey, we're going to workshop your questions. All right, here we go. Hey, Dune Pod. Uh, it's Kev here. Um, Kev's question this week is about my visceral experience watching the movie Sneakers. Um, I, I, I enjoyed it. I think it's a well-made movie. But, you know, the Chuckle Hut, 1130 on a Tuesday night, I was like, it makes sense I fell asleep in the middle of this movie, right? <laughs> so then a couple days later, I was working from home and I tried to put it on. And and even in the background, I was like starting to fade a little bit. I was like, what is going on? Then last night, okay, I finally finished it, but not before passing out and then just kind of soldiering through the last like 45 minutes of it this morning. So um, this is rough. Kev's question is, rough. is <laughs> has there ever been a movie where regardless of how good it is or how entertaining mm. it is or how engaging mm. the cast is, uh, is there a movie that on like a core brain frequency level, forgive me, neurologists in the audience, um, that just knocks you out, just puts you right to sleep? Yeah, I think it's a really bizarre thing. Honestly, I'm kind of disturbed by it. I was wondering <laughs> if you guys uh, had any insight to that. Looking forward to the rest of the road to 100, which has been absolutely great. You know, guys, um, I feel like I say it at least twice a month, but the show is getting better and better with each passing week. And I'm looking forward to this one too. So take care guys. And I'll talk to you soon. That's great. Once again, it's Kev's questions. Wow. I want to go, I want to go back to Corey's, to Corey's question. question. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Kev. <laughs> Once again, uh, it's Corey's questions. Well, first of all, we forgot, we forgot nothing but trouble. Uh, for I've Dan Ackery, which I never think is pretty it. key. All right. So nothing but trouble, Ghostbusters 2, and Spies Like Us. All right, you made it. Answer to, Somebody to made an answer. So I'm going to say for, for, for sleeping, I'm going to take 2001, given the number of times wow. I fell asleep uh, watching 2001 as a young child. Um, yeah. As a man, uh, I can as watch it anytime I want. <laughs> as but, a man, but, I but stay awake. As a child, I fell asleep to that movie more times than anything else. Nell, do you have a movie that's put you to sleep? I think I, I couldn't make it through Blair Witch Project, which I, oh. is like, not because Whoa. it was so scary, but just because oh. I, I don't know what's wrong with me. But I think I like didn't find the like, I don't know. I, I couldn't, I just, I just couldn't hold my attention. I mean, it, it was a very yeah. personal thing. Hmm. Yeah. Amazing. My answer is The Godfather Part 2. <laughs> wow. 
what? which I, I I legitimately recognize as a good movie. I've I've engaged in a lot of Godfather slander on this podcast and just in life general. But I mean, I, I it's obviously a great movie. Uh, it's just so long, and like there's a lot of there's a lot going on. It's like two movies mashed together. So I feel like. Anytime it switches back between the Vito story and the Michael story, I feel like it's just like a cue for me to like take a snooze because I'm like, oh, my God, we're going now again with this other thing. Um, mm. So, yeah, that's mine. It's Godfather Part 2. Durat in the chat says Quest for Fire. What a classic. Yeah, that's I bet that one's right up your alley, Quest for Fire. Yeah, yeah, that was good. Not as good as uh, I think... Um, uh, Corey called out Caveman starring uh, Ringo Starr recently. He, oh he watched God. that. Well... That brings us to next week on Dune Pod. It is time. Jason, this is the return of the big ones. Oh, my God. <laughs> what a title. What a concept. As we said last week, you know, we didn't know what we were going to watch. We didn't know who our guest was. Uh, but we are going to go still in the 90s with one of the biggest sci-fi classics of all time, at least partially inspired by Jodorowsky oh, yes. and Mobius' The Incal. Oh, yes. We are doing fifth element the fifth element oh my wow. god i haven't now, seen this in a while how are you now with this movie i'm into it i mean it's so i i haven't seen it in a long time so i i know how many like recent takes on it but like phenomenal yeah. when it came Hell out yeah. like i'm excited to, i can't wait to I'm listen very to very excited it. for this one so fifth element is currently streaming on paramount plus uh in high def it is available for rental and purchase in 4K um, on Apple and other platforms, as you would expect. So give that one uh, a rewatch. We have joining us the digital branding genius uh, behind Nike, Adidas, IDEO, oh, yes. and more, Katie Drecky. That's amazing. I'm really glad. She's a great, she's a great one. Uh, she's a great person, um, really smart, uh, fun, uh, and it'll be great to have her on. Can't wait. Can't wait to see it. So uh, so check that out. Nell, uh, what do you have to plug coming up for Democracy Next? What's next for Democracy, Nell? Oh, my. I don't know. I mean, just, you know, for those of you who care about democracy and politics, go support some midterm races. We got a, mm. got a big election coming up. And uh, yeah, if you, if you don't know, yeah. you follow me on Twitter, I guess, for as long as that is still a thing. Um, at Nelwyn, N-E-L-L-W-Y-N. Awesome. We will have links to that in the show notes. And again, thank you so much, especially in the run-up over the next six months. You know, there's, we have seen more than ever, there's more to fight for. And, uh, you know, the other side is just becoming, uh, you know, they're going for it uh, in, in unbelievable ways. So I'm looking forward to us taking up that fight uh, between now and November. Uh, next week, we will also have the digital director of the RNC, which is a spam bot that just got out of control. <laughs> and that's it for this episode. I want to thank Jason and Nell for an insightful conversation. Next week, we're thrilled to welcome the digital branding genius to Nike, Adidas, IDEO, and more, Katie Drecky. We cover one of the biggest sci-fi classics of all time that was at least partially inspired by Jodorowsky and Mobius's comic, The Inkal. We are, of course, talking about The Fifth Element, streaming now on Paramount+. Plus. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating review wherever you listen to your podcasts, and be sure to hit that follow or subscribe button so you never miss an episode. We also have a Discord server where you can hang out with us whenever you want. A link is in the show notes. DunePod is a Tape Deck Podcast John, a production of H Industries. Our artwork is by Catcher, 
and our theme music was composed by Toby Forsman of Whipsong Music. Transcripts provided by Sophie Shin. The episode was edited by Megan Hayward of Edit Audio and produced by me, H. Thanks for listening. We'll see everybody next week. <laughs>